I think I've made a recommitment to seeing that ability to feel so strongly as a real gift and a real alignment with spirit. Just, I'm so connected. So I'd much rather be connected than disconnected. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and today we're talking with Celia Cutts, co-director of Training for Change, a training and capacity building organization for activists and organizers. I really love this conversation because I'm especially inspired anytime I get to talk to someone leading from their gut, from feeling, and unapologetic about their feminine, creative, interpersonal style of leadership. I went to a training with Celia and Training for Change on something called Process Work this past October. And it was such a paradigm for shift for me around thinking about conflict. Personally, my response to conflict, especially when it happens in groups, is usually to get overwhelmed or to get scared or even really deep down to have this feeling of like something is going wrong. If we are working for liberation together and if we are good people, then that must mean that like if we're having conflict right now, it means that something isn't working. And what I learned at this training, and what of course makes sense to be true, but I'm in the process of reteaching myself, is that conflict is actually a really generative possible place. It's an opportunity for us to go deeper together and to discover um, some of the actual things we have in common beneath the surface, and also some of the deep difference that we can celebrate and that makes us strong. If we all thought exactly the same way um, in our movements, they would be quite boring and, and not as effective as they could be. And so I'm really grateful to hear from Celia uh, uh, around this topic that she's been studying for years. And I also love how she talks about being born from Jewish women with strong emotions. Her style elicits strength and vulnerability, and her experience is in bringing together approaches of participant-centered education, body-based wisdom, and her experience as an organizer. So if you want to read a little bit more about Celia, check out the show notes in your podcast app. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Glad you're here with us. Hi, Celia. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, I am so happy and just full to be in your apartment with you here in Philadelphia. And um, I wish folks could see like all the beautiful plants that you have and um, the light coming in through the skylights. And if you hear a little bit of squeaking, that's a kitty (laughs) named Bunny. That's that's a cat named Bunny. She's very well loved and known and a little deity. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. And I have been so excited to talk with you and reconnect with you even just after meeting you several years ago at the James Lawson Institute. Mm-hmm. And that was before I had ever had any exposure to like real somatic study or anything like that. And, um, and 
was really impacted by just like your presence of how you showed up in that space. Mm. And also we like co-facilitated a little somatic exercise for folks at James Lawson in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to sit with you and wondering if you might tell us a little bit about what we did this past weekend, just for context. Sure. Yeah. Of why we are together. <laughs> like, yeah. Can we explain it? <laughs> yeah. Um, what did we do? So I've been uh, curious about how to facilitate conflict in movement spaces and or with organizers for probably 10 years or so. I mean, probably before, but I didn't know that was what I was interested in. Um, and was introduced to this approach, which really looks at how do we hold space for a whole group to see different dynamics that are occurring, both in the verbal channel and in the nonverbal channel. So we talked about like what's beyond the words. So that was a way that I was trying to talk about. There's so much information that happens outside of our, our dominant verbal channel, um, especially in conflict, and really wanted to bring the methodology that I've been studying um, deep democracy to movement spaces. Mm -hmm. So this was a little experiment that we were part of that was a combination of tools around that of noticing what goes on beyond the words and what are different roles that get played in typical conflicts because you can kind of start to see patterns. Um, And it's just been really helpful for me to, as a facilitator and a trainer, to notice in a group when someone is occupying a very strong role it's likely another role is going to emerge the opposite of that or some complementary to it. So I can kind of anticipate or be looking for or occupy that role to help more clarity come out. And then just a deeper, not even deeper is not the right word, but like adding nuance to how we think around identity and just so much power that lives within so many of us on different levels that isn't reinforced by our socialized world. Mm-hmm. So we talked about like spiritual rank or psychological rank or reparational rank. We, we discovered in ways that people actually show up really powerfully, but mainstream society doesn't, doesn't give it that kind of status. So mm-hmm. how do we own that for ourselves mm-hmm. and create spaces that can talk about power that isn't hier- only hierarchical by mainstream society's standards? Mm-hmm. So I've, so that's a lot of what we did, <laughs> sort of, yes, um, by opening up the group to learn those tools and then see how they could be applied when we go into a conversation that may have tension in it. Yeah, that may have tension in it. May, it might have some <laughs> so tension like in it. every conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I was just super compelled when y'all with training for change put out the invitation to come and just spend a day and a half a a long day and a half but just a day and a half yeah um here in philadelphia kind of diving into this work i felt such relief even around the invitation Mm -hmm. because i think so much of the work of being in the world in this moment is just navigating conflict constantly and then also in our movements we're intentionally engaging in very pointed strategic conflicts to create change. Right. And the way in which some of the skills that we're developing in order to be able to wage those conflicts out in the world, Mm -hmm. sometimes like 
are not balanced or held differently within our own movement spaces. And mm. so I'm thinking about like the training or retreat environments that I'm in, which are kind of temporary configurations of mm -hmm. people or um, just organizational decision-making mm -hmm. and like the tension between the, the work moving forward, like the doing to continue mm -hmm. that sometimes encourages us to just like breeze over the interpersonal ruptures that are happening. Mm -hmm. And then also um, the tension between pa like around power and authority and rank. And I think this language around rank that really came out this weekend was helpful for me and one of the questions I wrote down in my notebook as we were talking about rank was like, is rank bad? Mm. Because I think many times what might make conflict more confusing is that we are trying to embody just and inclusive and welcoming and generous systems of power mm -hmm. as an alternative to the way that power operates in our mainstream society. And sometimes I think that can make us a little bit over allergic to power, mm. um, which we experienced a little bit this weekend too, of like what happens when people have power, but are like hot potatoing that power, mm -hmm. but still occupying that position. Mm -hmm. And like just thinking about with, with some degree of neutrality, what is the way that rank on a spiritual level on an interpersonal relational level um, in a positional level of like somebody is, you know, has authority over somebody else's employment. Mm -hmm. um, and then social rank around like privilege mm -hmm. in the world, the way mm -hmm. the world receives us, how we're able to move, like just processing and visibilizing those things and the tension between, you know, sometimes those things are really unjust and unearned. And also like some element of rank also just is. Like, we want our people to have more power. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, like, I don't think anything's ever good or bad, like, mm -hmm. in some ways, you know? I mean, like, rank exists. Mm -hmm. And the longer we choose to qualify it as good or bad, the less time we actually have to acknowledge it and, like, redistribute it mm. or figure out how it's affecting us and impacting us. And I think that's the same about conflict is... We're so comp like there's so much conflict avoidance mm -hmm. that means that we never actually get to see what the fight is actually about. There's just projections, there's assumptions, there's judgments, there's gossip, which is all really destructive behaviors when we're I think people are afraid. I mean, we made a list over the weekend, right, of like why go into conflict? Why avoid it? Mm -hmm. And first thing on the list was we might lose connection. We might fracture relationships. And I think that's, I mean, Training for Change has been a pro-conflict organization since its initiation, since its mm -hmm. beginning. And because we know that if movements and groups don't go towards where there's tension, it's off. They, do, they don't go towards it because they're afraid they're going to fracture and mm -hmm. they're going to look as though... They are, don't have a strong front, right? And like, we have to remain united. We have to all mm -hmm. be in sync with each other. Otherwise, we're going to lose. And so the stakes can feel very high. And yet it means that it can become groupthink, which mm -hmm. can become a dominant, you know, dominant thinking can take over a group. Um, and stagnancy and an unwillingness and an inability to change and like, adapt to conditions that they need to con adapt to, whether it's around figuring out how to grow as a multiracial organization or 
um, think different about like their target and their strategy. Like you have to be able to be adaptive. Otherwise you won't survive. Mm -hmm. And I think conflict is one, it's just a representation of tension and tension is when you're in growth and transition. There's always, I mean, growing pains, like all that stuff, plants, the earth, like when it's shifting, there's tension. And so how, how are we building up our resiliency within and our like literal skills to be able to shift, Mm -hmm. which is be in tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like for me, something that comes up around this is um, the concept of burnout. Mm-hmm. And like for a few years now, I have this sinking feeling about how, and this isn't universal, but how a lot of like a lot of the reasons that I think people might experience a sensation of burnout has less to do with how overwhelming the external circumstances are, and Mm. they are completely overwhelming in every way. Mm -hmm. But a lot to do with, like, what are the ways of how how we're being to one another internally. Mm. And that I know in my personal experience, the moments where I have felt like I've questioned whether I could continue in this work don't have to do with the scale of violence and destruction because that in some ways resources me so deeply to continue Mm. but but has to do more with like how are the people at my sides treating me and one another Mm -hmm. and like are we building a sense of support and and something that I really appreciate from what you're saying about tension and from even just the acknowledgement of like a huge organizing skill and a huge life skill is just being able to move into conflict as an opportunity mm-hmm. and also to know when are we engaging in a conflict that is an intentional power confrontation, like mm. out in the world in our campaigns. Mm-hmm. And when are we engaging in conflict with the people who are at our sides mm-hmm. and how we can hold that and go deeper to unearth like next levels of collaboration that are possible that create more, not necessarily sameness, but more mutual support or mutual understanding that can move us forward in a way that's like a a realer unification as opposed to like the what you were talking about like we have to display a united front kind of feeling mm-hmm. that's super fragile because underneath the foundation is crumbling mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah you were talking it reminded me of a time like I got to uh, work alongside folks um, who live in the Pacific Islands and one of the conversations we were having around was burnout and like self-care and they were like what does that even mean like mm. what are those words you users you individualize everything like mm. i don't understand self-care what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> and um this friend he was like we take care of each other that there's no self-care there's care there's mm-hmm. there's when someone is is suffering we we orient around that it's a it's a part of our our community it's a part of our collective body and mm-hmm. so as it was that was, i just re- i hold on that is something that i both mm-hmm. like resonated with at the time felt like i was remembering something that had been taken away from me and pr- i'm really doing a lot of active work to practice of how do i lean into my community and build community, especially I was raised very isolated in a very rural, white, working class environment. 
where it was very, the strength was in the individual, pull you up by your bootstraps, all that bullshit. And have really unlearned, like, through consciousness and relationships and hard conversations and conflict, who are like, mm. why are you isolating yourself in this moment, you know? Like, mm. why are you not asking me for help? Or why are you not leaning into the love that I'm offering? Like, what are you trying to protect right now? Mm. Because that's not worth protecting like mm. I love so that I've been really actively leaning into like the ways that I'm collaborative by nature mm. and that's about like being being a femme being a woman like just accepting that I have this natural inclination towards share and care and mm. wow that sounded really cheesy but it's <laughs> <laughs> like it's a care bear moment <laughs> but like but it's but it's it's been really fascinating especially being in like multiracial spaces and like deep relationships and not to generalize but but my experience has been that has been something i've been learning is like the ways that i individualize care mm. and individualize my experience in social change work is so much about my my internalized whiteness and like assimilation into a dominant culture. And that is so antithetical to what I want for the world and for myself and for mm. my community and my people. So so that's like, whenever I hear burnout, I have a little like, ah, wait, what are we talking about? Like, mm. how do we really actually see that the suffering that any of us is experiencing is a suffering all of us are experiencing? And I mean, and that's a tagline, right? Like that's a bumper sticker somewhere, but it's such a practice mm. that pushes up against control and fear and scarcity that is so suffocating. Mm. And like, I, I, it's hard to describe like the different, the different feeling that I feel now where I lean on into and am vulnerable with people in ways that I wasn't, you know, like, five, three years ago because I was more scared of them judging me or thinking I wasn't good at what I was doing, especially as a director. Like, I'm in a co-director model, which, and I was in a director model for a year and a half, and it was really challenging because it just reinforced this individual mm. performative behavior in a nonprofit. I mean, Training for Change is one of the most, like, radical nonprofits, in, but... Still, you know, it's an organization. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's actually not about training for change. That's about like the, the societal norms around nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So I've been really stepping into this collaborative, feminine, intuitive style that feels so much more easy and relaxing and healing and smart and effective. Mm. <laughs> than what I was doing before. Mm. Um, Can you say a little bit about effective how? Like how have you seen that style of showing up play out in like a specific moment mm. or in a specific pattern over time that's mm -hmm. felt different? And then I'm also curious about, I know there'll be some answer to this, I don't know what it is, but um, I'm curious about like what is some of the pushback or resistance that you get to leading in that way? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, some of it is, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, 
I mean, some of it was even just pulling together this training that we just led, where my approach, the collaborative way of doing so, was asking people, who do you want here? Who do you, who, who, who are you in relationship with? And I mean, it's interesting because I think TFC is actually structured, like we've almost internalized a collaborative approach. Um, and I don't know, it's interesting, the word collaborative is also finding like accompaniment is like another word that feels in relationship to that because a lot of our work is fellowship work. So we have programs where someone will come to a training and then they can take part in a fellowship. And that's a long-term relationship that we have with people across the country. And we have one deep, we have one in West Virginia. So we've been walking alongside organizers in West Virginia for the past two years. Mm. And... We have the JCJ Fellowship for Trainers of Color, and that's like, I mean, there were t people who were in the fellowship who were in this training. So it's like collaborating with them in their lives and following their wisdom where they are going in their leadership roles, and then inviting them into spaces where they can deepen their skills to be able to both infuse the space that we're in, but infuse the communities that they work with at the same time. So it's almost like there's just like, a weaving of relationship and mm -hmm. TFC has always been really relationally driven. Mm -hmm. So that feels like a one way I feel like collaborative, uh, growth inspired, um, intuitive in the way that like we follow the relationships that feel right. And, mm -hmm. and where there's like, you know, like we use all, like we're dance, like the dance is there with somebody. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's a piece about that that's about longevity, mm -hmm. about like commitment to relationship, and that transformation isn't can kind of only happen in that way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, that feels like the total opposite to me of um. So I'm from Wisconsin, and we we have a lot of activity and infusion of resources and people around mm -hmm. election time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And you know, in the states surrounding us, we're real close to Iowa, so it's like a lot of kind of especially during the 2016 election there was like a lot of kind of hot interest in doing like let's like do something in wisconsin for three weeks or whatever mm -hmm. and the, the difference between that organizing culture of like the drop-in right push and go yeah versus the longer term accompaniment being about a deeper transformation right yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah and we've debated whether or not we're like a drop-in organization mm -hmm. like when ferguson popped off like we got asked for trainers to come in and we, I mean, three weeks is hardly long-term, but like it was our commitment to only send people if they could stay for a significant enough amount of time that would make relationship possible mm -hmm. because without relationship, it's just a transaction mm -hmm. and that's not liber That's not in, in its long-term liberatory mm -hmm. and it reinforces dominant capitalist culture of consumerist like, Oh, we're just going to exchange right now. Great. Bye. Mm -hmm. So, so that feels really a part of it. And, and, and for me in a leadership role, like being really humble about this work and letting it happen. And so like West Virginia is led by West Virginian folk, you know, and like the JCJ fellowship for trainers of color is led by trainers of color. And so like, what's my role as a white woman director like I do a lot of fundraising and I find ways to like then create opportunities for people to come to things so it's like finding my role in this 
we, this like, you know, woven together community of people who are striving for the same goal. Like even this weekend, I mean, my individual self is like, wow, I recruited everyone, found everyone housing, mm. you know, organized the training, booked the space, like all like the, the list could go on. And I just really, you know, it's a, it's an internal dialogue with myself of the role inside myself is in the individual who wants to get a, a cookie or a star on the chart, you know, and then the like connected or like, connected person who recognizes so many hands went into making this possible mm. and so what do I use my power to say out loud and to reinforce mm. you know I I want to lift up the continually reflect that like this could never have happened by myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm curious like as you found that role and like the places where you feel like your labor fits in the most serviceful ways also hearing you talk about really leading from a feminine place, mm-hmm. which still in this like social justice organizational landscape, mm-hmm. I think is very rare. Yeah. Um, or at least maybe not rare, but not celebrated and uplifted or not always like consciously articulated and followed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. How also have you navigated like, pushback around like both finding mm-hmm. the right places where you can serve mm-hmm. recognizing racial privilege but also like being being a stand for mm-hmm. leading from the feminine and like that part of your identity and your style that is is tends to be invisibilized in terms of like real powerful yeah. labor yeah well i mean I'm, it's a journey you know <laughs> like i don't know that i'm I'm on it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for sure because I think it's like really challenging because I'm hard on myself about like whether or not I am an organizer mm-hmm. you know and like and organizing is like a super loose general word for a lot of different ways that change happens mm-hmm. and so I want to I do want to get into the nitty-gritty of like what you know like some people do base building and they work with a local group and they have a target and they build a campaign and they have a long-term arc that directly impacts that target and the people who are directly affected by the power holders there so like that you know like there's that and so I think training for change has trainers who do that who are doing that literally and and know that 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 way of change and so when I interact with that um I have a lot of internalized like internalized sexism around like so what do I bring to those spaces if I'm not literally doing that on the ground work Mm -hmm. but when I talk to like my one of my trainers who does do that work she's just like but the way that your heart shows up in that work is that work and so I think I mean like I'm just taking a big breath right now because like even accepting that for myself that like leading from my heart Mm. is a way to do organizing work I don't have to have read all the books Mm. I don't have to have done all the study to still know how to lead powerfully on organizing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's, it feels a little scary to even talk about, to be honest. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. I feel scared talking about it because I like, because people have really strong opinions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we need really strong organizing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question because like just getting to benefit from what you did convene this weekend mm -hmm. around which is not like a soft and fluffy thing to any degree to mm -hmm. like facilitate large group conflict on purpose. <laughs> um, it's like a very, very brave endeavor. Mm -hmm. And something you were saying to me before, which just like really landed for me was you were talking about when you experienced this process work and deep democracy mm -hmm. and like really taking people into the heart of conflict mm -hmm. to see what is there that can be a gift for us feeling like home mm -hmm. and I'm curious about just from your own story like what is that about that mm -hmm. tenacity that like ability to see the richness and what to many people feel scary or like tensiony in a way that we want to run away from or like dangerous like what about the conflict piece in your own life feels like a big gift that you want to give back to the movement yeah and that actually, you're just saying that reminded me, like, a, just a thing about, like, what it's like to be, like, the challenges of leading from the feminine or whatnot. Like, like that resource has a place. Hmm. And I think that's what I, like, people have places and bring their own gifts. And I don't have to bring them all. That's the mm -hmm. other thing, right? Like, I bring this gift. Mm -hmm. Other people bring other gifts. Great. You know, <laughs> like it's that's hard awesome. to feel like that's great. Sometimes it feels like we're supposed to have all the things. Right, exactly. But that's yeah. individualism, right? Like yeah. that's specialization. That's like go get your PhD so like you can. Well, I don't know. I, that's there's like a yeah. I think that's a myth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I feel so. That's where like you need roles in in organizing people who can do different things. So yeah, that was helpful. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, like, I mean, as a kid, I was definitely around a lot of verbal and emotional and spiritual, like, abuse. Just, I, in, in my family, I was this focal point from my grandparents and my parents not as explicit, but, um, just a lot of yelling, argument, tension, unspoken frustration and strong emotions and so I have a lot of memories as a kid just watching and like observing and dodging and hiding um I also spent a lot of time as a kid alone because my parents worked all the time and so I'd go home and watch soap operas so I learned a lot about drama <laughs> uh -huh. and conflict and I would I, yeah, I, so I think, like, I just absorbed a lot of, like, interpersonal dynamics um, through my family system, through good old television, and, um, and also something I've been sort of scratching at and, like, unpacking within myself is just how deep, strong emotions that get labeled in mainstream society as mental health and um, emotional instability has is very deep in my maternal line, and so I'm actually like I'm named after my great auntie who was institutionalized at 40. So mm -hmm. 
knowing that from a young age and being somebody who has incredibly strong emotions that um, are sometimes about my personal life and sometimes about the world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with the hurricanes and Charlottesville and Las Vegas, like I, I take, there's things that I can't control about how I experience those experiences and you know, for a long time, I wondered about myself. Mm. And I think I've made a recommitment to, and it's like, it's not, you know, like I have to recommit to it often of like seeing that, seeing that ability to feel so strongly as a real gift and a real alignment with spirit mm. and just... I'm so connected. Mm. So I'd much rather be connected than disconnected. Mm. And yet the connection is sometimes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I have community and I have skills to be able to breathe, draw, write, stomp, throw shit, mm -hmm. yell, mm -hmm. push, fall apart, lay on the ground. Watch the trees move <laughs> and accept that this is who I am right now. Mm -hmm. So, and that is really helpful when dealing with conflict. Hmm. <laughs> and I remember like, so I went to this seven day seminar that was this process work stuff where it was like every day. 300 people, 130 countries, we would deal with a conflict. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, there was a, a day when we did um, Israel-Palestine, Palestine, mm. and, um, and the struggle of Palestinians is very close to my heart, and the occupation is something that I've done a lot of political education work, and I've done organizing with in different times in my life, and it's so complicated and layered and uh, there's such an obvious injustice that so like my people can so many of my people cannot understand because of fear and mm. scarcity and it's heartbreaking yeah jewish and folks. jewish folks yeah i don't think we mentioned yet that you're yeah, yeah 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 yep mm -hmm. jewish folks got our work cut out for us mm -hmm. and um, yeah which is totally about the mental health stuff too of my family like i just think slight tangent but like the suppression of emotional expression is so much about assimilation mm. is so much like white polite middle class culture that like my mom is not actually a part of mm. i hope she's okay that i'm talking about her i haven't asked her mm. <laughs> she, she loves me she's proud of me um and um yeah <laughs> that's funny she, so, so that's also a part of it is like, I mean, I made a commitment years ago when I was on my anti-racism journey to be purposefully, uh, weird or I don't, weird isn't the right word, but like not like be who I am because every time I'm who I am, I'm pushing against a mainstream norm, mm. it seems. I mean, that's extreme to say, but, like, strong emotions are not widely accepted in this country. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's a political act to have them. Hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so you found yourself in this giant workshop. Thank you. Yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, and I felt so calm. Hmm. So I was talking about talking about Jewish, talking about Israel, Palestine. Oh, wow. I mean, I was I mean, it was a very strong emotion. There were people who had been settlers at a time in their life and so could to could so could bring into the conflict the role of settlers and Zionist settlers. And there were um, IDF folks who had been in the Israeli Defense Fund there. And there were Palestinians there, and there were Jewish activists there, and I felt so right. It felt so grounding to be there. And then the next day, we it was just after the, after the tsunami had hit Japan, and so there were all these people from uh, that region of the world fighting about what to do with nuclear plants that were a real risk to the environment and the and this and the physical safety of the people in the region so like but every day it was a new country a new conflict a new region a new topic um and i loved it wow. like i just <laughs> like i didn't want it to end and so i think a part of that and i similarly like i've been in lots of direct actions and been an action lead and um was at the rnc in 2008 which was really tons of police violence, and we had um, we were infiltrated by the FBI, and you know, like fucked up shit. And um, I mean, I wouldn't say I was like calm at all moments for sure, but like there's something inside of me that when there's conflict on the outside, mm -hmm. balances it by calming on the inside. Mm -hmm. That is right it's just it's just like and i think it's partially because i was around it so much as a kid i found a way to like find an inner resting place so that i could be present to the the mm. range of chaos mm. going on outside of me that strikes me this idea of inner resting place because i think like in my experience i feel like i can move in a similar way that's not um disheveled or agitated by the conflict but that it, it, my internal experience is one a little bit more of dissociation mm -hmm. and I certainly see and experience that in people that totally. I'm close to and yeah like I think a lot of that like calm in the storm can sometimes also be like a real stress response that limits our ability to perceive totally and so it strikes me as a unique gift to be able to go to that place but that it opens up like observational capacities and yeah, so this actually happened yesterday during the training when we were at dinner and we were like, so what are we going to do in the evening? There's mm -hmm. a bit of chaos in the mm -hmm. room. There's some, some discomfort, tension, whatever. And I, you know, and a group huddled around dinner to think about what we were going to do next. And people were throwing out ideas, I, you know, left and right. And I'm sitting there quiet. And like, I'm like been organizing this thing, you know, I'm like in the middle of it. And I'm like sitting there saying to myself, why am I quiet? You know, what's going on for me right now? Like, do I not have any ideas? Am I shut down? Am I disassociated? Like, am I scared? Do I not want to do this? Just like acknowledging the range of feelings and experiences that I was having. And I was like, and you also know, Celia, that you're really wise and that like something will come if it's here to come and you just have to like let it come if it comes. And then the question came to me, which I think was something around like, 
what are you passionate about that you know uh, has conflict in movement spaces? Yeah. And that was the question that needed to get asked. And I just got goosebumps. That was a question that needed to get asked. And it just was like, I just had to wait for it to come. Yeah. And that is something I've totally learned as a facilitator, is that the confusion that's out in the room may not be my confusion. I don't have to internalize what's happening in the group. Hmm. The group is having an experience, and I get to be present to it and let the wisdom rise hmm. to meet the group hmm. and the group will respond and that i mean i mentor people and that is one of the things i say pretty often is like when you're confused you may not be confused the group is confused hmm. so just listen hmm. and stay present so i have a question about that because i feel like something i would love for us to to play with giving folks who are listening is like a couple of tools that, you know, for those who didn't have the, the honor of joining us these past two days or of, of going and doing the process work seminar and talking about all the conflicts in the world, like, how might we, what are, what are some of the little skills that mm -hmm. might be transferable mm -hmm. around holding conflict and confusion? Mm -hmm. And then, and also, like, coming from a perspective, you know, in training for change, where oftentimes you are your role is the facilitator mm -hmm. where you get to hold from a neutral place and say the group might be having an experience and I am not the group. Mm -hmm. But then also for many of us, like our daily experiences of conflict are where we're very much one of the characters in the story in oh, our right. own groups and organizations. And yeah. so like both are trying to exercise kind of facilitator zooming out skills to help ground the group together, mm -hmm. but are also having our own invested experience mm -hmm. from which we can't like detach and so I'm curious from some of the work we did this weekend mm -hmm. or the other work you've done, are there any turnkey things that we can share with folks that might help help focus up around how we move through conflict? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like the roles has been really helpful to me, um, partially because like in any conflict, the way people are showing up is a mirror of the world. And mm -hmm. so... And our, our, the archetypes are like family systems, that kind of thing. So one thing that I do, and I think it's both like a personal practice and a practice leading groups, is like literally map out the room. So um, like drawing pen and paper, like literal, uh, get a sheet out. And like when I'm in a conflict with somebody, I will draw out, okay, so here is Celia, you know, and then there's like over here, there's like really fucking pissed off, like maybe little sister Celia, who's like, feels like, you know, she didn't get what she wanted or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then there's like really uh, wise Celia who has a gazillion babies and has taught them all how to like be mm -hmm. loving human beings and like. And so, like, draw, and then there's, like, the person who I'm in conflict with, and, like, what are the roles that they are both, like, mm. inside themselves that I can see or that I can't see? Um, like, how are they hurt? How are they protecting themselves? Like, are they being, like, their mother? Because I know that, you know, like, what are the different ways, like, literally just writing it out mm. um, and mapping out what are all the, you know, we talked about, like, inner diversity. Like, what is the inner diversity of this of this conflict that, and, and so that, and so then when I'm in it, I can 
move to different roles within myself. Like, who do I actually want to be right now? Do mm-hmm. I want to be little girl Celia who just needs to really fucking like have, you know, give a, give peace of mind or whatever. Um, and where do I be that? Do I go mm-hmm. be that with a friend? Do I go be that with the earth? Like, where do where does she get to get witnessed mm-hmm. so that I can be another part of me that wants to that is more healthy or you know nurturing for this conflict mm-hmm. and so that I think that's a huge gift for my like I'm happy that's now it's being recorded yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in groups I mean like when I'm in a group whether I'm a participant in it or leading it uh, or facilitating and guiding it like. I'll map it out, you know, and say, like, what are the different roles that are playing and where are they moving right now and and what's emerging? And and we talked about, like, roles that aren't even in the room, you know, and, like, how is white supremacy impacting this space or how is, you know, it's just so many different ways that we can look at, be scientists, Mm. you know, be, Mm -hmm. like, go in the microscope and look at the petri dish and what are the organisms that are interacting here yes well that's something that really will stick with me for sure about this weekend is this concept of inner diversity mm-hmm. and the idea that there are multiple things happening within all of us at different times multiple roles being played multiple perspectives and i think it it makes me think about like in the public sphere this way that we uh, talk about politicians flip-flopping mm-hmm. has always stood out to me as like this very contradictory piece of like not acknowledging or having room for humanity. And sometimes the flip-flopping is like very dishonest and not okay. But mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes we just don't have like ability in our culture to hold the fact that people change or even the fact that people contain more than one perspective at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I find that too when I get into like interpersonal dynamics is that a lot of times when we're trying to express what we're going through, we get sort of like entrenched into defending a position, mm-hmm. which never represents all of what we feel. Like a lot of times I find myself feeling I both get completely get that and I'm hurt by that, mm-hmm. right? Like two totally different truths. And I think the celebration that happened within the methodology we did this weekend of that inner diversity Mm -hmm. and helped complexify conflict in a way for me that isn't like a boxing match. Mm -hmm. It's not a this versus this, Mm -hmm. but that there's many things present within each of us. And then... Wait, can I say one thing about that? Yeah, go ahead. Because I think the thing is, is like the more you get to know your inner diversity and those like that boxing match, then you can choose which one you want to be in the fight. Yeah. And I think that has been so liberating for me where I'm like, I'm not knee jerk reactions, like habitually going into one or the other. And obviously that happens because you get triggered and then you're like this thing that you're like, God, why am I that thing again? You know, Mm -hmm. but like the more you can slow down your inner process and be like, oh, there's more than one thing going on for me right now. What is actually going to serve this relationship Mm -hmm. and this moment? Mm -hmm. That's that's so liberating. Yeah. Yeah. And the roles, so we kind of talked a little bit about like the the internal roles and the choosing mm-hmm. within yourself who you want to be in the moment. And I think for our team that came from Momentum, even just thinking about some of the archetypes that come up during conflict, yeah. 
uh, is really helpful, like thinking about the mm-hmm. suppressor or denier, mm-hmm. like this is okay, or we don't have space for this right now, or nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenger or the differentiator, like the person who kind of no matter what is being discussed is going to position themselves in opposition to that. Mm-hmm. The colluders or the allies that are coming alongside the the person who's differentiating or challenging, mm-hmm. right? Um, the people who bring up like a third perspective and help get it out of the dichotomy. I can't remember what, what are some of the other roles that have been oh useful gosh. to you? <laughs> Those are good ones. Um, I mean, there's like the, the, the introverts, the quiet ones, you know, the silent, the silent ones that are there. I think like, and this gets into like, then I just start, my mind kicks into agenda design and like, mm. What kind of what kind of tools are we using to help support different roles to express themselves? And so how are we balancing large group and small groups, solo time, pairs, like just stuff like that that's like very much about on and like when do we do tools that like bring out extremes and when do we bring groups together? We call it like in training for change, we call it like, when are we integrating and when are we differentiating? Mm. Because it's a natural cycle of every group where they want to be felt together. And then they also need to see where they're different from one another. Mm. And so I think the roles play, knowing, going into a group being like, there's going to be someone who has a strong opinion. There's going to be someone who's just following along. There's going to be somebody who doesn't really know what's going on, but is too afraid to ask. I feel like I'm doing the four questions from Passover right now. (laughs) (laughs) But right, there's like, there's, there's, there's no, there's ways we show up and there's going to be someone who doesn't know anyone, someone who feels overwhelmed by knowing everyone. Um, Knowing that we can think about how we're creating spaces, designs that, that meet those psychological conditions. Mm. So like we talk about it where it's like, is it, um, I think it's like psychological design or is it curriculum centered? Is it only content or are you also, how are you also thinking about how the people are interacting with that content mm-hmm. and not, they're not mutually exclusive, right? We have to deliver hard content, but we also have to create conditions where people can actually learn that content yeah. because otherwise it's transactional. Yeah. It makes me think too about how even just like just the acknowledgement that roles will show up in a space and the needs that people have around both feeling togetherness and distinction from one another of like knowing knowing where I stop and the group begins Mm -hmm. and then also knowing that I'm fully part of the group like acknowledging that that is a psychological and emotional and spiritual need for us I think for me as a facilitator as an organizer as a member of a family Mm -hmm. as a partner as someone who lives in a collective house like it it helps me normalize and like de-escalate my emotional response when those things come up. Totally. Because I think part of my socialization has been that when a challenger appears, that that's a red alert. Mm -hmm. Like that's a signal that something's fundamentally wrong with Mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to get to a place of saying, wow, like it might be a real, it might be a red flag for us to examine what's going on, to listen to the person, right? Like, it's not to say, like, oh, the the challenger is just playing a role and there's not something real happening there. Mm -hmm. Like, to really integrate that, but also not to 
to expect that role as an important part of our group development. Totally. And to Thank not goodness. pathologize it. Yeah. Like, don't we want people who are challenging our thinking? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I want to be challenged. Of course I want to be challenged. I mean, I think the question is like how the challenge happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're not challenging each other, then we're not pushing each other to grow. Then we're just, you know, following, we're sheep following whatever mm-hmm. the metaphor is. Mm-hmm. And I think... I mean, I find often, like in strategy retreats, people come to the table being like, well, here's a bunch of ideas, but no one has a strong opinion. No one has a proposal. So if you don't have anything to push back on... You've been in different rooms than me. (laughs) (laughs) Like everybody. Or, right, or they all have their own strategy and their own proposal, and they haven't done the pre-work to synthesize and come Mm. together. Mm. That's fair. But, like, I think it can happen where... Because there's not a, an appreciation of what's right about bringing challenge, we're not actually able to organize around that challenge. Mm. We're just resisting that challenge. And that's when we get a gazillion challenges because it's like, mm. well, if, I'm, if I see challenge and I'm resisting it, then I want to go find my own response to it rather than being like, oh, great. Okay, so what is that? What is the mm. challenge you're bringing? Let me stay curious about it because maybe you actually have something and I have something to contribute to it. Mm. The conflict and the challenge as a resource for yeah. better insight. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, I know that you have a practice that you're going to share with us. Well, my practice was the roles one. Okay, cool. That was what I was thinking. Can you give us like, and um, folks are going to have the opportunity to download oh. separately the okay. instructions of cool. how to do this practice. All right. And so is there anything you want to say just as like a a short teaser of what this practice is useful for Mm -hmm. so that then when people have a chance to sit down Mm -hmm. and actually take the time to do it later, they, they know what is coming. (laughs) Why? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like I find this practice helpful when I am confused Mm -hmm. about a conflict or a dynamic that's going on in a group or in my personal interpersonal relationships And so getting out a piece of pen and paper and Mm. being in motion, physical motion, um, so that's not all in my head. So I use it when things aren't clear. Mm. You heard it here first. (laughs) Celia has had an experience of being confused by a dynamic. (laughs) If you have also had this experience... Maybe every day (laughs) this practice will be very useful. So I'm excited. Uh, Folks can download that um, as the next episode in the series when you have a little bit of time to sit with your pen and paper and really go into this practice. And I just want to say thank you, Celia, for sitting with me. Is there any last word that you like want to leave with folks around the conflict piece, leading with the feminine, like any final... Mm. Uh, I feel like this is growing and that brings me great joy and relief. (laughs) And when we were talking before, I just keep Adrienne Marie Brown's book on generative, uh, like emergent strategy. She talks about generative conflict Mm -hmm. and that's been really resonating with me is the word generative. And so I've been talking about it as generative conflict and she says you should take what she wrote and go with it and run with it. So, Hmm. um, yeah, I'm really excited about more of us being out there, being ourselves. Mm. Thank you, Celia. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Kate. (laughs) 
You just heard a conversation between Kate Warning and Celia Cutts. There's a corresponding practice this week that is really useful for processing dynamics of group conflict, um, and it's a little bit of a mapping exercise. So go ahead and download the next episode uh, with the practices releasing on Thursdays after our conversations release on Tuesdays now, and check out that practice. It's really interesting. You can access the resources referenced in this conversation, including the, a visual map that corresponds with the practice at healingjustice.org. You can join the folks who are interacting with us on social media and letting us know how the podcast is supporting them or making them think differently um, or request next topics that you want to hear about or leaders you want to hear from uh, on our social media account. So on Instagram, we're at Healing Justice. Healing Justice Podcast on Facebook, and on Twitter, we're at HJPod. This podcast is generously mixed and produced by Zach Meyer at The Coal Room in Milwaukee, and the intro and closing music was gifted to us by Danny O'Brien. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes to help us continue. It's looking amazing, y'all. It's our first month, and we have almost 70 reviews. So please help us hit that benchmark of 100. Um, It's really helping us uh, make a splash in our first month here and show iTunes that this conversation is important and should come up in the search results. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. I need you. We need each other. And hear you next week.